This is the Sleeper Hold Podcast. Welcome to episode 5 of the Sleeper Hole Podcast, where there is no disqualification on the topics and falls count anywhere. I am your host, Priest, and please pardon our recent absence from our blog and social media. We recently purchased our own place and had a last-minute move, so we are a bit unavailable. Things will be getting back to normal now that we have moved in. As for this past weekend, though, it was a great weekend for wrestling, if you ask me. We had an incredible show with Pinfall Wrestling Association's Grand Wrestling Spectacle 5, as well as a great show on the WWE Network with the Elimination Chamber. Also at the PWA show, I got to watch and meet a living legend, Cowboy Bob Orton, who finished his match with a beautiful RKO with his opponent on the top rope. Now, we are going to continue with the fifth part of our series, The Eras, and boy do we have a lot to cover here. Now I'm going to be honest, the things that I'm going to cover is during a time that I didn't pay much attention to the wrestling world on TV. I ended up taking a small hiatus from TV wrestling somewhere along the middle of all that I'm going to be discussing here, only to return at the tail end of what I will be discussing for the WWE. I was instead more focused on the local independent wrestling world and be able to join the ranks as a wrestler and a manager. So if this is a bit brief or lacking what you feel are key details, I do apologize, but at the same token, I welcome any feedback and input on these times in wrestling history. Alright, so we've talked about the fall of WCW, the start of WWF, to the point of the Attitude Era and being rebranded as the WWE. And we also talked on ECW to where it also ended up being bought by Vince McMahon as well. So starting off, we're going to grapple with the closing chapters ECW and WCW under Vince McMahon's rule. On WCW's last night of airing Monday Nitro, Vince McMahon would declare that the contract to him having complete ownership of WCW would occur during WrestleMania. He had helped pay off WCW's debts and was set to buy out the company. However, Shane McMahon was already physically at Nitro. Entering the ring, he faced the camera as he spoke with his father about the papers for ownership of WCW being already signed, and they did indeed state the last name of McMahon. But the name on the papers would not say Vince McMahon. Instead, they said Shane McMahon. He had defied his father's wishes and now owned the company WCW, and he was about to go to war by taking the fight straight to his father's home turf. But wait, there's more. Although it was recorded as Vince McMahon buying out the assets and debts of ECW, it was actually Stephanie McMahon who worked with Paul Heyman when the selling of ECW occurred to where another McMahon was on the papers, but it wasn't Vince. Stephanie McMahon would become the official name in charge of the ECW team after working out a master plan with her brother Shane 
to team ECW together with WCW to form the Alliance and rise against their father and his illustrious WWE empire. The war had now evolved into an internal power struggle of companies within the WWE to see which McMahon would reign supreme over the rest. The invasion had begun, yet very few talent from either ECW or WCW's roster were acknowledged, let alone cheered for. We are talking about names like Billy Kidman, Booker T, Diamond Dallas Page, Canyon, Lance Storm, Raven, Rhino, and even Rob Van Dam. Along with this, though, some of the WWE roster did eventually defect over to the Alliance. Those were like the Dudley Boys, Christian, Ivory, The Hurricane, Mighty Molly, Test, and surprisingly enough, even the cold rattlesnake, Stone Cold Steve Austin who ended up leading the Alliance roster. It took a while, but the Alliance did start to get more support behind them with these familiar names joining the ranks. But most fans stayed loyal to the WWE roster and their leader, Kurt Angle. In the 2001 Survivor Series, the final bout of power would be concluded and the Invasion storyline would come to a close. The roster of WCW and ECW would be reintegrated into the WWE. For me, this was a bit of a shame, as the WWE could have gone a long way with such a powerful direction with this invasion-like storyline. Unfortunately, the WWE Universe was built with more of its loyal fans than previous fans of WCW or ECW at the time, and they quickly made their voice heard to shut down any attempt to create an internal war. It looked like even without the fans, though, the WWE committee was not really willing to bat an eye or give a chance to this storyline or even have its migrated roster from those two former companies get enough of a fair push that I personally feel they deserved right away. However, with how things went in the 2015 WrestleMania of Sting versus Triple H, I am still hoping we may see something like that make a return, as well as Shane O'Mac returning to stand against his sister and brother-in-law. I mean, come on, how cool will that be? Hey everybody, as I mentioned before on our last episode, I have some great news to share with all of you. Pinfall Wrestling Association and Sleeper Hole Podcast are teaming up to give you a mini-series on their Pinfall Academy Summer Training Program. These webisodes will be hosted on YouTube as well as on our website, Facebook page, and much more. So stay tuned to our website and Facebook page as well as to the PWA's page to find out more and see when new episodes are released for you to enjoy. Now, as I mentioned earlier, the Invasion storyline was a small promotional section in WWE history that was intended to almost be an era of its own, but the fans would have none of it. Starting in 2002, a new era would start to begin that has been given so many different names. The most common ones I have heard it called 
and seen listed online is the Ruthless Aggression Era and the Post-Attitude Era. So without further ado, we will grapple the topic as I will simply title it, The Empire Stands. With such a large roster now at their fingertips in 2002, WWE had to find a way to capitalize on the large list of talent they now possessed. The company would create a lottery system to divide the roster between its two shows, Raw and SmackDown. Each talent, manager, commentator, even titles were now considered show exclusive. Along with this, the pay-per-view shows would become show exclusive, excited from the Royal Rumble, WrestleMania, SummerSlam, and the Survivor Series. Each branch would have their own official general manager also to run the shows. The Rock and Steve Austin would take a leave during this time and were soon replaced by new upcoming stars. These stars included names like Brock Lesnar, Randy Orton, John Cena, Rey Mysterio, and Batista. Other talents would remain and receive the spotlight they had worked hard for, including some of the former WCW talents and ECW talents. And likewise, the former WCW pay-per-view called the Great American Bash was given a slot in the pay-per-view lineup for the WWE as well. Now, a few quick things to note about some of these names that we just dropped. Randy Orton had made history by becoming the youngest WWE champion in the company's history. It's also good to note that John Cena began his popularity at this time as a rapper who first put his sights on Kurt Angle, won a WWE title against Brock Lesnar during 2003's Backlash, and would face off in a big feud against The Undertaker. Also, he had a huge victory at WrestleMania 21 where he became the new WWE champion against John Bradshaw Layfield, JBL. Now, granted, before he did the whole rapper spiel, he kind of just came out as a young gun and everything else, but most people don't remember that bit. They just remember him being the doctor of thugonomics. From there, though, John Cena was drafted over to Raw and given the biggest hype since Hogan and Austin. In 2005, Chris Jericho, Y2J, would pitch an idea to the Raw general manager, Eric Bischoff. It was approved and set to debut at WrestleMania 21, where Jericho would go off against Christian, Chris Benoit, Edge, Shelton Benjamin, and Kane in this event-changing free-for-all. The idea was pretty simple. A contract with a guaranteed title shot would be held in a briefcase which was suspended over the ring. Whoever could get to the briefcase would have the right to cash in this contract at any time for a shot at the championship. The money in the bank was born, which went from being an event at WrestleMania to now having its own rightful pay-per-view, which, ironically enough, will be in two weeks. In 2006, D-Generation X made a return with Triple H and Shawn Michaels reuniting. From there, they caused havoc for the McMahon family and had a standing feud with the newly formed tag team of Randy Orton and Edge, otherwise known as Rated RKO. 
Unfortunately, Triple H would suffer a torn quadricep muscle and the feud would end prematurely. Another great thing to mention about this era was that the 2007 WrestleMania where Vince McMahon and Donald Trump had a back and forth feud resulted in an incredible match in my opinion. I loved it. The two picked representatives to fight in the ring in what would be called a battle of the billionaires. Vince McMahon picked a fierce warrior who was currently dominating as the top heel, the Samoan known as Umaga. Or Umaga, but they always pronounced it Umaga. Trump would pick an upcoming star who was also a powerhouse, but did not think would win. You know, many people kind of did not see him as being as great as he is. He picked Bobby Lachey, or Lashley. I've heard the commentators say either way back in the day, but I believe it's Lachey. Stone Cold Steve Austin would end up refereeing this match. What made this match so great is that whoever had their representative of wrestlers lose, that person would have to have their head shaved by the winner. So Lachey won the bout, and Vince McMahon ended up with his head shaved bald. Now, one thing that was speculated, but I couldn't find any full, credible details about it to whether it was able to be confirmed or denied, is that Vince had this promotion happen because he was about to undergo a series of chemotherapy treatments. He was less active around the time, looking a bit thin and weaker, especially along the face, and this was followed up shortly after with a false death of Vince McMahon to give him some time away. Perhaps one day we will get an official statement or confirmation from the WWE or the man himself, Vincent K. McMahon. I don't expect it. It is a personal matter. But it's one that I know a lot of people have brought to me personally whenever I talk to them about this time frame. And are very curious to see what the truth is because we all have a lot of theories. Here at the Sleeper Hold Podcast, we strongly believe in helping others. Therefore, we have decided to feature a charity every quarter that we are supporting and invite you to support as well. Following his induction into this year's WWE Hall of Fame, we have decided to make our first charity, Connor's Cure. Head on over to our website at thesleeperhold.com and click on Connor's Cure on the right side of the page for more information. Now, a quick note here about this time in wrestling before we go any further is that the WWE has successfully sold some merchandise from ECW's vault, including a documentary about the rise and fall of the company. There had begun a rebirth of interest in the ECW franchise to such a level that the WWE had officially relaunched a special pay-per-view in 2005 called One Night Stand, to where ECW alumni would be battling once again, just like old times. This went over so well that the WWE had another one-night stand launch in the following year with the announcement of ECW's return to national TV on Sci-Fi Channel. This would last till about 2010, when ECW would be closed down for the final time, even though fans still to this day chant ECW when they see Paul Heyman or something extreme that reminds them of the glory days of ECW.
The next segment I want to address has also been given many names depending on who you talk to. It has been called the Next Gen Era, the PG Era, but my personal favorite and topic for this segment is one that pays homage to the fans, called the Universe Era. In 2009, Donald Trump was known as the owner of the Raw brand and initiated a concept of having guest hosts during the show. This ranged from celebrities to athletes or past superstars to make appearances during the weekly episodes. This lasted for the run of 2009 to 2010, and also in 2010, my hero, Bret Hart, made his return to the WWE where he publicly reconciled with Shawn Michaels on national television. If you remember the Montreal Screwjob that was mentioned before, Brett, like many of his fans, pointed part of the blame at Shawn Michaels as well as Vince McMahon. This act of reconciliation not only showed that Brett had declared it was water under the bridge, but I think it spoke out for many of the fans too. I know I had felt that way after watching the footage and hearing Sean talk about it on other videos about how it wasn't planned and was now part of his history that he was stuck with and would haunt him forever. I was never really a big fan of Shawn Michaels at first because of that when I was younger, but things like that and looking back at him now as, you know, looking on the WWE Network and being an adult you got to really respect the man who is humbled and sincere and what he was like and going through during that time. I mean, he did get a big push, and when you're young, you're going to be arrogant. This era would also have names that are still familiar today in the most recent era. We're talking names like Alberto Del Rio, Brodus Clay, CM Punk, Cody Rhodes, or Stardust now as he wants to be called, Daniel Bryan, The Miz, Dolph Ziggler, Kofi Kingston, R-Truth, Ryback, Zack Ryder, AJ Lee, Beth Phoenix, and my favorite diva, Natalia Neidhart. A few things that I loved during this time was that the underdog story they were giving to Zack Ryder, as well as the back-and-forth story between Daniel Bryan and AJ Lee. They were dating at one time, then they weren't. Then when it seemed like they might be, AJ was also sharing interest with CM Punk. This is one of my favorites because when Daniel Bryan confronted CM Punk about this, Punk's only response was, I did crazy chicks. Also around this time, Daniel Bryan ended up being tagged up with Kane to form the team Hell No, which was effective, but also comical in its own right. However, the most memorable moment in this area had to be the circle around the new fan favorite, CM Punk. 2010 was also the milestone year for the WWE as they launched their new program that started to show on sci-fi called NXT. During this time, NXT was more of like a reality show where eight new trainees would be mentored by the WWE superstars in hopes of making it to the big time. This is where Wade Barrett began while being mentored by Y2J Chris Jericho. This concept would last for a few more years before dissolving and away in... 
slowly it transformed into what we now see today off the WWE Network. 2011 was a very powerful year for CM Punk. It was the year he delivered his famous speech that has gone down in history as the famous pipe bomb. Now, I personally have mixed emotions about the famous pipe bomb moment. It was a great moment to elevate CM Punk, and it fit his character perfectly. It was CM Punk being CM Punk, a rebellious, loudmouth person who also was able to back it all up. It made CM Punk be all that more awesome to me because you never saw a person make a stand like that when you knew they weren't getting the full push they were capable of having. However, by breaking the fourth wall, CM Punk broke one of the cardinal rules of professional wrestling, and that's honoring kayfabe. Although breaking the fourth wall worked for CM Punk, it was never truly repaired, and instead, the WWE let the entire company pour out from this broken wall instead of keeping the magic that has always been there for their fans. This, in my opinion, was what started the transition to the current era we are into, known as the reality era. This will be addressed on the next podcast, so I'm going to do my best to refrain from saying too much right now. 2011, though, was also the year CM Punk took on John Cena at the Money in the Bank pay-per-view in the Allstate Arena in Illinois. Punk had nothing to lose and everything to gain here. One of my close friends, Valerie, actually went to this, and I am so jealous of her after finding out the results. CM Punk was at in his home state, having a chance to win the WWE Championship, and most importantly, his contract was about to expire at the end of the day. Vince put all the pressure on John Cena to make sure Punk did not win, even saying that if Cena lost, he would be fired. Respectively, many of the Illinois fans held up signs and statements that said if Cena won, they would riot. Jerry Lawler described it best that this was so electric that it was as if, quote, the Chicago Bears were in the Super Bowl and the Super Bowl was being hosted in Chicago. They also announced that the fact that Punk had refused the most recent contract offer from Vince McMahon, nobody knew what was going on. The match lasted for over 30 minutes with both men throwing everything but the kitchen sink at each other. At the pivotal moment, John Cena had Punk locked into his signature hold, the STF. It Back then it was called the STFU, but it's the STF. Vince McMahon would try to demand that they call for the bell, setting up yet another Montreal Screwjob scenario. Cena would stop this from happening by saying if he was going to win, it would be on his terms. The distraction by Vince was enough to help CM Punk catch Cena and put him in the GTS, go to sleep signature move, and score the win. Upset and in a panic, Vince McMahon would try to have the new Money in the Bank winner, Alberto Del Rio, come out and cash in his Money in the Bank to keep the belt within the WWE. 
but Punk would cut him off as well. After that, CM Punk would leave through the crowd, but not before blowing a goodbye kiss to Vince McMahon. Cena would be fired that night, but only to be reinstated and left to win the newly vacant WWE Championship, in which CM Punk then would return after signing a new contract and have his title as well. This set up for a champion versus champion match between the two to see who truly deserved the WWE Championship title. We are reaching the end of our first series, The Eras, in two weeks. This is an episode I have been looking forward to as I get to finally let loose on my thoughts about this reality era we have entered in the WWE. After this episode, we are going to welcome our first guest to the Sleeper Hold podcast, Pinfall Wrestling Association's own Mickey Thomas. Then we are going behind the curtain with five episodes to talk about some things you may not normally see or think about when it comes to these wrestling shows. So keep coming back for more great episodes, and don't forget to feel free to contact us through the blog, Facebook, Twitter, or website at thesleeperhold.com to share your thoughts, comments, or questions. You never know. It may be mentioned on the following show. Until then, this is Priest, signing out. Thank you for listening to the Sleeper Hold Podcast. Don't forget to visit our website at thesleeperhold.com to comment on episodes, read our blog, for information about the quarterly charity, and more. See you in two weeks.